Fire Festival was a physical, real-world manifestation of the negative aspects of something like Instagram, where you put forward this image of the life you want people to think that you're living, and it's not a realistic representation of all of the mundane things you do every day. You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. Hey, this is Bart Gallo. This is Rohan Kapoor. And this is Karen Bashwa. Hey, so guys, we, we, we want to talk a little bit more as we go through this experience economy discussion on this podcast series uh, and deconstruct the elements of experience. We all got a chance this past week to watch a new documentary that came out on Netflix called Fire something. I don't know. It's Fire Festival. Fire, Fire Festival. Fraud. Yeah. Oh, Fire, Fire Fraud. fraud. Yeah. yeah. There's two. There's one on Hulu as well. The one on Netflix I thought was better. But regardless, it, it was interesting as I watched that documentary, which is very well done. Mm-hmm. They're, both, yeah. they're both very good, but I think the one on Netflix was better. Uh, this is about a music festival that was supposed to take place in the Bahamas. Last yeah. April. Totally hyped up. But what was interesting about that, the documentary focused on the fraud and the debacle of what happened and the, the event organizer ended up in prison. But what struck me as I watched it, thinking about this podcast series and what we're talking about, was what those guys were selling was an experience. And while, while the focus of the documentary was on how crazy these guys were and the fraud and the fact they had no idea what they were doing, Underneath it was a, a very strong demand by high-income, high-disposable-income people for uh, unique experiences. Uh, and then I try. So I try. When I watch a documentary, I try to watch it for like, what are the people really trying to get at? What are they selling that's catching people? And when you look at how the event organizer got himself into this position, even prior to that, he was selling experiences through this uh, Magnesis Magnesis credit card for millennials, which was something like, I want to say, $120 a year for a credit card. But it wasn't a credit card. It was you attach your credit card to this card. And it just looks cooler. It looks cooler. Yeah. And it gives you access to a club. A condo that they they were renting in Manhattan, and it was a, it was basically you were just joining a social club for two hundred twenty dollars, and they tied it to events and you know your your credit card. But it goes back to when I watched the whole thing. It was like they're trying to sell experiences, and I so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on a very good documentary. Uh, talk about that a little bit because we are talking to uh, some people who run music festivals about how to improve that. And improve the experience, and so I watched that show from that angle as well. What was the experience that was really catching people's eye? What was you, so you guys watched the documentary? What were your thoughts? So I'm just going to say off the bat that what they were trying to pull off, although it seemed like it was exceptional, parts of it have already been done. So the tent aspect or the housing piece of it is already in existence today at Coachella. And I think Coachella does a really nice job. If you go on their website and look at what their offering is, um, it looks really nice. So I think what they were trying to do, although everyone is now saying the documentary was completely unrealistic, 
some of those pieces are in play. So, so my point in all of that is the fact that it wasn't like it was this massively far-fetched. They weren't pioneers. Yeah, moonshot idea mm -hmm. that completely could not have happened. It could have happened, and if they pulled it off, probably would have been one of the best music festivals ever. I, I agree. I, I know that everything they talked about could be done, but, it, but what struck me as the people who were doing it, were talking about it, were, were wanted the outcome with no understanding of the effort of getting it right. Yeah. So they had no appreciation for the logistics, the planning, the details. All they wanted was the fun. And you basically had, you know, babies in the form of young men making decisions with really no mature adult, any mature adult that they put around them. They said, hey, you need to, you need to stop focusing on girls in bikinis and figure out how many porta potties you're going to need for right. a, a couple thousand people on a remote island. And they didn't want to hear it. And they got rid of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but so th th that struck me as, it, but underneath it, behind it, there was this, they sold out. They must have, I think they said they sold yeah, I was just 20 some odd million up. dollars in tickets. Can that be right? I, yeah, but the I, pricing taste. The price started. was crazy. Oh, okay. I mean, it's people were buying packages in the six-figure amounts. I mean, they're only expecting 6,000 people, which by standards in the U.S., like around the East Coast, is a tiny, tiny festival as far as a successful I ones go. I mean, that's a gathering at best. Yeah, when you look at like every facet of business, from pricing to operations to logistics and marketing, obviously, they got 95% of them wrong. But they got 5% right. And what did they get right? And they got the marketing absolutely spot on. Yeah. And yeah. the Instagram account was like just gorgeous. The it, guys up in New York who were doing all their packaging. Yeah, like it was, it was absolutely branding and marketing. And you've seen, um, you've seen other businesses do this really well uh, as well. But they, they absolutely nailed 5% of, of what it took. And they, I think... It, it brought to light and right. made everyone aware. Well, that's what they described, right? That they were all, they all you know, they have the, these aspects like the food and the, um, the infrastructure, but they're focused on the influencers and the models the whole time, which it seems like they reaped the benefit of focusing on that, but they've dropped the ball on every other aspect of running an event like this. Yeah. Um, so I think people, people watching it, they got the influencer circuit, circuit going it was kind of like spread like wildfire because you had the the big models like the um, Emily Radikajowski. Yeah, so these famous famous One of those. celebrities, <laughs> I would say, they started in the trailer, and then that set off the next level of celebrity, which is the Instagram influencers who who it, through this documentary it, it became very apparent yield a ton of power. Now they really are today's celebrities. They, so so just yeah. The, is this Kylie Jenner woman? So it was it was Kendall Jenner. That, Kendall, I yeah. Was, Kay Jenner. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. But they're really popular. Apparently, she has like a uh, hundred million followers. Well, well Kylie is has the, the most. She's the one with the record posts. Kylie, eighteen and million likes. She's the one. So they're sisters, the Jenner sisters. Yeah. And then Kylie had nothing to do with the festival. Kendall did. But just to illustrate the power of social media. 250000 for one 
post. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but even better is that we talked about it on an earlier podcast. Kylie's the one who launched her lip kit online and it sold out in less than a minute. But think about, but, but think millions about, of dollars. But think about, think about what that means. So how many followers does she have? Something in the ballpark. It's like two it's, the rocks, something like that. It's it's millions and millions and millions of people that follow her every single post. If you're an advertiser and you want a product to sell, 124 if you, million. 124 million people follow her. Are those real accounts? But even if they're not, even if like even if she it's has a million associated with her name, her brand. Even if she has a million. That's a million people that get eyeballs. That's a million po- data points mm. that you can track as a as an advertiser. And if you give her a post and she promotes it, you're going to see a massive return on, on on your investment. Well, according to this documentary, they paid her two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to post one Instagram post about this festival. Yeah, I'm sure she makes over a million per post for yeah easily. certain topics. If you pay, if you pay four models two hundred fifty grand to appear in a video for like five seconds, you spend a million dollars on 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 uh, advertising. You'll make that back in ticket sales three, four times the amount. Because the power that these guys yield now, and this documentary brought that to light. These are the new celebrities of the day. Like you no longer have these. Uh, these barriers, if, the, if you can build a large enough following on any social media platform, but not only uh, Instagram, YouTube, if you can look, look at how much some of the YouTube people are earning. I think there was a kid who unwraps presents <laughs> on YouTube and he earns something like $20 million a year. Oh, please stop. They get the momentum going. It's a shift in power. It's a shift in power from... <laughs> From celebrities of old to, to who the celebrities are these days. And unfortunately, there's, they yield the power now. There's a brand new crop of celebrities. There's a documentary and about just that, right? The, the, American, the American meme, meme right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's really good, worth a watch, and kind of related to some of the problems you see in the fire Festival. I feel like this old guy just <laughs> going to... You crazy people. What you're sounding to me sounds like insane. But I, I, I don't dismiss it. I mean, I just, this sounds ridiculous to me. That this woman gets, you know, just post something and someone's going to pay her two hundred fifty thousand, and apparently they say it's worth it. Uh, and my issue is, how is it they they have so much influence? And let's tie it back to this notion of uh, the experience economy. What is it that so when all these people were parting with these huge amounts of, uh, like the regular festival goers at Fire on the documentary, yeah, were paying. I want to say the regular ones that ended up staying in tents. Uh, we're paying like maybe $3,000 for the weekend, which is an expensive weekend, but not out of the reach of a lot of people, uh, especially if it's, you know, one of your vacations that you're going to do. And, you know, uh, so, so, but even what, what are the, what is it that they're chasing for the $3,000? And that's where I want to get back to this experience economy and how the use of celebrities how does that increase your price points? Like, what is it? What is it about the people that they want to be part of something? They want to be more meaningful. Do they see other people making followers, and they want to be part of that? Is I, that? I, I I don't know what the cause is, and I don't know the details of the research. But I'm, and you might have seen some of this too. I think there's some pretty detailed research about um, people in a general millennial age group and the fear of missing out 
as like a uh, part part of their psychology. What's, that's what's very that common. What's that term called? FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, and like there's some kind of positive feedback loop. At what's play. the What's the millennial uh, date to birth? Is I think it, it's early 80s to 95, like 82 to 95, 83 to 95, something like that. So, because I know my, my I have a cousin who was born in '96, and I know he so crosses over. Bart, you and and Rohan would be considered millennials, mm-hmm. but at the yeah. older end. Yeah, yeah. Is that well, fair? Well, right I'm 87, probably middle, middle. Yeah, and so Karen, you and I are outside the range. Yeah, I'm just outside the range. Yeah, <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to clarify. So he's got FOMO of being <laughs> in the millennial range. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I think I'm I'm uh, the the tail end of the baby boomers, which is like, we're <laughs> <laughs> got walkers and everything like that. But, uh, but I'm trying to get a sense of this FOMO topic. It's, it's what does it stand for? Fear, Fear of, of missing, missing out. out. Really? Yeah. It's an actual coined term used, <laughs> created in social media. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's the generation that grew up with MySpace and then Facebook and all of these ways to keep track of what other people are doing that they can't be a part of. And I think with I this think- festival and the experience that these influencers were portraying that they were going to be having at the festival, I feel like people, in a, regular people in the living room on their phone looking at Instagram, they see, oh my God, this influencer that I follow... I think I feel like I know because I follow every single post and every caption. And so I built up this image of what this person's like, if she's going to be there or he's going to be there and I'm not, I'm going to be sitting here in my regular life living room. I'm going to miss out on something which could be incredible. Right. None of the physical stuff I could buy matters if I miss that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Billy McFarlane knew that. So in the Netflix documentary, he... Now, Billy McFarlane was the organizer. The founder. Uh, fa- co-founder. Yeah. Co-founder from, of uh, Milburn, New Jersey. And he ended up in prison, six years in prison. And three probation, yep. Yeah. And he's separated, he's he's f- proven that this experience economy is... Well, yeah, and he said well. in the marketing, he said, I want to make sure that this festival is targeted towards average guys who would buy into this dream. He says that. So he knew exactly who his audience mm. is. Yeah. And it's all about selling them a pipeline dream. It's like, an experience, right? You, you can sell them a great experience, whether it's a credit card that gets you exclusive parties or, or that lifestyle, or it's a festival that gets you close to these models that are partying in their bikinis. Yeah. You, people will part, They'll pay a premium for that experience. But I, but I think, okay, that at its so, core. But, it's, but it seems like he definitely understood what to tap into. For sure. Oh, for sure. But he had no ability from a business operations perspective to execute on his vision. Correct. Is that fair? Because that's yeah. what documentary was about. Well, I think the, the success in this was the marketing. And he, paid, and he had a lot of money to pay one of the premier agencies to outsource the thing that went really well. Yeah, but there's a difference between chief marketing officer and chief operations officer. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? there was no chief operations officer. Well, and decision rights were were given to the chief marketing officer, which is a problem. Correct. Right? Because right? the, they need to lay out a vision, but then somebody needs to say, this is how we're going to do it. Right? And, and typically a CEO uh, manages the dynamic between those two players mm-hmm. who have very different perspectives in the corporate world. But what I'm trying to get a sense of is 
they definitely tapped into something here, especially with the millennial, with this FOMO thing. But do you think that's a new thing that they tapped into? Because historically in society, members clubs have done kind of the same thing. And now that you have a wider reach that's available. It's, it's probably just amplified by social, social media, media exponentially. Yeah. But I think that human, that fundamental core human feeling of wanting to be associated with and wanting to belong has mm -hmm. always been there. I think that's fair. I, I think clubs and associations and fraternities, et cetera, have been sort of the historical or analog versions of these experiences in clubs where you don't want to miss out. You want to be part of a group. And the, the digital world is creating new platforms for that. But I, they're, they're not true replacements. And I think that's the problem that leads to something like Fire Festival. Because I think the best part of the documentary was the conclusion it arises that, And the, the conclusion was that Fire Festival was a physical, real-world manifestation of the negative aspects of something like Instagram, where you put forward this image of the life you want people to think that you're living, and it's not a realistic representation of all the, the mundane things you do every day. Uh, the, the, uh, the term was called all show, no blow. Yeah. Right. About the, the imitation hankies that go in a suit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, like in the Sopranos, like so much of the show is about like, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers if, if anyone hasn't seen it. So much of the show is just about like the banality of existence or it's not like this extravagant mob yeah. lifestyle all the time. It's just a lot of regular stuff. So you got to figure when we're talking to people about new business models, new opportunities is how do we tap into this? FOMO uh, idea in a more positive way. Yeah, exactly. Right, because mm -hmm. I felt like they were really, it was exploitive in the way that uh, these guys approached it. It was highly cynical and it was all on the surface, meaning there was no substance behind what they were doing. Yeah, it's like the overlap of the attention economy and the experience economy mm -hmm. yeah. exploited. So... Were you at all drawn to the vision, like the, the video that they did at the beginning uh, that, that set this whole thing off? When I looked at it, I wasn't remotely interested. Now, ironically enough, TJ and I <coughs> had gone to that exact island. <laughs> Under different circumstances. Under different circumstances. <laughs> we were there. And it's in the middle of nowhere in the Exumas. And uh, it's a fun story about how we got there and we ended up now, those waters are shark infested, for one. I mean, we saw tiger sharks just swimming right there. Uh, we, we went, they, had a, they showed an island with pigs. We saw an island of uh, monster iguanas. And we have some pictures of TJ running around with iguanas. Uh, but it's desolate. There's nothing there. And they, uh, Pablo Escobar's organization had uh, bought one of these islands here. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, I forget what it was called. It was the Nick, Nicholas, Norman's Key. Norman's Key, sorry. And then yeah. Little Norman's Key, which is on the other side of the inlet. And anyway, there's just no, there's no, there's no electricity. There's no running water. I don't know how the hell they were thinking they were going to pull this off. So anyway, so when I, I, it was interesting, I'm watching this. I said, I've been there before. It's, you know, that was a pretty desolate place to get to. And uh, the Exumas are, are beautiful for for that sort of thing, but the opposite for a large festival like that. You need to move it. Now, they end up moving it to the uh, Grand Exuma, mm -hmm. which is like one of the, the most populous of the Exuma Islands in Bahamas, and they picked it on the weekend. 
which is like a national holiday. It was the biggest competing weekend for logistics and operations. So it made <laughs> compound of the issue. Part of the issue about not having a COO and making decisions about that. But I just think there's this whole issue about – I wasn't at all drawn into that. Maybe that's a personal – enough people were that they could generate millions of dollars. Did you find out how much they, they – they did, Karen. Did you look it up? Yeah, I tried to look up what the total I, number of sales was. I know he owes twenty six million following the legal actions. Yeah, well, that's how much. So I, I figure they had about that in sales because you got to figure they were close to break even. But I can't imagine they spent twenty six and only had four million in sales. That wouldn't make any sense. But the whole nothing about that whole episode made sense. I, I don't know what makes up the justification for why twenty six. It could be some other. Fines, emotional yeah. suffering. I'm not sure. A couple of the people they interviewed, it sounded like they spent a couple thousand dollars, three, four thousand dollars to get there. They had charter flights. Took them in the middle of nowhere. I tell you, when when I when I was there, uh, to this you know Norman's Key, it was a 90 minute boat ride to Nassau, and uh, it was not a you know it was an open. It was not <laughs> fun. Fire festival attendee who won lawsuit talks about experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so a lot of people reveled in the collapse of this festival. Yeah, they did. Yeah, is that an aspect of the experience economy too? <laughs> or even though this is a disaster, you get to be a part of this weird piece of history and it almost turns out to be more interesting than just a successful music festival? Well, I'm sure if it was a success, there probably would be no documentary on that. Yeah, Netflix. that's what I mean. You know, less people would know about it for sure. There was that funny side of it when people saw break out especially people that were not millennials a little older and they kind of looked at it and they were like oh yeah, yeah. they loved like they were loving it which is also it's a funny thing right now i think it, in our society you definitely have that there's a view of millennials and um the avocado toast view where avocado toast is great delicious, delicious. <laughs> People tapped into that as well because there were some really funny comments that came out after it. Yeah. Um, and luckily no one died, right? Because so with the sharks and there's like... The biohazard of yeah. them not being prepared. The for other thing that was really odd was at <coughs> when they showed the footage of, I guess, shit kind of hitting the fan on the island that night. Uh, they interviewed one of the guys and uh, in the documentary, he, he said him and his friends were going around and basically sabotaging the tents around him. It's like humans went into this survival mode on the this island. It got really primal. Right? It yeah. got so... Once the lobster tails turned to grilled cheese, it was just state of nature. Yeah, they, they, were, they were slashing the tents and pissing on the beds around them so that they could be isolated more. They didn't want to be like in an encampment. But you, uh, you see, the funny thing is I would have thought people would have came, helped each other, come together and say, oh, crap, how are we going to collectively get ourselves out of this situation? But it was more of, of a I need to just worry about myself. Yeah, yeah we got to think who responded to this marketing and was willing to spend that kind of money. Yeah. I, you know? uh, I mean, I'm going to speak as the old uh, <laughs> baby boomer curmudgeon. <laughs> I don't know who the hell these people are, but I don't like them. But the whole culture of Instagram is a narcissistic culture. It's look at me, I'm eating a bagel. And yeah. look at me, look at me. I took a picture of me on a bike. Look at me, look at me. And so the whole 
all the follow. I'm going to follow somebody. You can look at them and and Black Mirror did an episode. Yeah. On this, where they, you know it's people's this searching for these ratings, five ratings out of five, and so the the narcissists who are just part of this whole thing are at this festival. So the last thing they're going to do is worry about anybody other than themselves. I got mine. Mm. And so I just, that, that was an observation I had, yeah. but it was, I, but I was really getting to go back to struck when I saw this, they kept using the word experience. They were selling an experience. I'll give them all that credit for selling and tapping into that. And it, it feels like there's a big hole out there. And if you can tap into it with the proper execution, it seems like there's a huge business opportunity yeah. to, to, to sell real experiences. I mean, I mean, get it right. Yeah. And do it in a, do it in a, do it in the right way versus. And, and part of it is the patience of getting it right and, and having the ultimate vision later down the road. So instead of, you know, maybe they, maybe they had a smaller festival, not make it so big, make it focus on the exclusivity side of it, small and get it. The operation, everyone's talking about the next year, it's a little bit bigger. Next year's a little bit bigger and, and waiting for that ultimate gratification when you look at Coachella mm-hmm. which is probably the largest festival now right one of the yeah. one of Hans the Zimmer ones. performs at Coachella I'm talking about in the US some of the European ones are off the charts Coachella's big it's like I want to say it's like it's got to be bigger than Bonnaroo 80, at this point 80 maybe 80,000 oh um, I'm sure it's over 100,000 125 125 yeah but there's festivals in Austria that are over 2 million so you can't the European festivals are much bigger, but the U.S. festival, Coachella is one of the, the bigger ones, and it's one of the most profitable yep. when you look at them all. But it, it took them years to get to that. Mm-hmm. They didn't just do that in, in four months. And so, it's a, the, again, it's the lack of substance for this narcissistic baby uh, millennial culture that's out there. But it feels like there's an opportunity for us to en- engage in conversations with people about experiences and making them substantive. Because mm-hmm. the people obviously want it, but you know we can joke about in this documentary about how they were so good at setting it up and so lame at delivering it. The, I think the expertise is key, and I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But you need to have the right experience and ability to execute behind yep. that experience, or else this happens. I mean, if you compare this to some of the events that happen in the U.S. every summer, six thousand is 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 a nothing amount of people to do this kind of event. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's done by very small groups of people who know what they're doing. Yeah, I think even here. Governor's Ball is bigger than. Oh, probably for sure. Yeah, but you got to also look at where you're at. I mean, I I can't tell you how remote this place is that they were at. I mean, it was. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers are, but yeah, you you are. And they said that um, for Governor's <laughs> Ball, they did talk about if even trying to pull this off in Miami would have been a you know monumentous task on its own. But yeah. doing it in a place that has zero infrastructure set up for something like this was just a very foolish and stupid yeah, I, decision. T- to me... My 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 psyche and my mindset is I, I I'm immediately always thinking about the logistics of this stuff, so I'm fascinated by things like cruise ships, in terms of how they're able to pull off. You know, one of the cruises I went on with Sarah a couple of years ago was on a cruise ship that had five thousand passengers. It's one of the you know the one of those monster cruise ships over that that Royal Caribbean has, 
And I think they have 3,600 crew and 5,200 passengers. It's like a lot of, but it's like a little floating city. And for mm-hmm. them to be able to cater the whole thing, then they do documentaries on how they do the logistics. It's unbelievable. How do you make meals for 5,000 people in a small confined space where you don't have access to resupply until you're back in port? And then how do you arrange for all that? How do you make sure you have enough eggs? How do you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And while you're on the boat, you expect them to have whatever you ask for. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and they talk about how they act to have to move stuff within the boat. It's a huge operation, even like everything from housekeeping to uh, the plumbing, the sewer treatment on the, uh, the boat, how they create fresh water, the, the food. So it's a, a tremendous amount of stuff. And so you think the same thing's true on land for a festival and porta potties and, Food logistics and parking and transportation in and out and dealing with health issues, dealing with uh, security issues. There's a whole bunch of things out there that people will totally overlook if they're totally focused on models and bikinis and looking at this from a narcissistic lens yeah, of well, Instagram. It should be masked. You should be masked from it if you're the guest, but it relies on the expertise of who's executing yeah. it to mask it from you, but make sure it's being taken care of. Anyway, I thought very good doc. I would encourage yeah, people to watch it. Good. Uh, this good. is a cultural experience. It's just understand what's happening, especially for uh, older folks like me, who's like I, I'm, I'm at some level completely disconnected from this generation. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't get a lot of this stuff. Me too. You are, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> you seem more tuned to than I do. I didn't. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think I. I get it. I get it because we. I've, I mean, I used to run a business and we targeted these type of people, so I kind of get what get that whole FOMO thing and understand. I don't understand it on a personal level. It's not something that I get, um, but I can. You know, I, it's something that's definitely there. So we're gonna do. We're gonna next week in San Francisco. Yeah, we're gonna be there. Mm-hmm. And we're going to explore some of these concepts in, in different avenues. But we'd have a meetup planned next Thursday yep. in San Francisco. And it's like, I think it's called Retail Apocalypse. Is that fair? That's the theme of it, yeah. So, again, and we go back. We did a show on reimagining retail. Mm-hmm. And it had a lot to do with selling experience. So th- let's think about how we introduce FOMO concept Mm -hmm. into the retail apocalypse and then deal with that as a way for retailers to create a buzz around not missing out Mm -hmm. where you have one-time events where I'm going to sell something, but it's only sold here and it's only sold here for this weekend. And then you can never buy it again. Limited, exclusive, Mm -hmm. all these. So it becomes an experience where the, where you're introducing the FOMO concept. So, so these are, Watching these documentaries are interesting because it gives you a perspective on how you then take some of the phenomenon there and then bring that into the algebra of business design, whether it be retail, whether it just be customer experience design or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Anyway, you guys looking forward to San Francisco next week? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be awesome. cool. Actually, the meetup, we're going to be setting up podcasts, so be interesting to see who sits down at the table to kind of chat about this stuff um, because we won't know anyone there. And so there's going to be some people with, I'm sure, really interesting backgrounds. 
um, talking about this stuff. And hopefully there'll even be a couple of retailers there yeah, um, that we can get to sit down at the table with us and speak to yeah. us about this kind of stuff. Yep. So that's good. So looking forward to it. Any other parting comments on this? We're good. Excited. Great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. thanks. Hey, this is Karen Bajwa. Thanks for checking out the show today. If you like what you heard, head on over to our website, rumjog.com. If you happen to be in the New York or New Jersey area, come check out our meetup called Digital Disruption. We cover topics like you heard today with a live audience. Lastly, don't forget to follow us on social media using the handle at rumjog. Talk to you soon.